We come now to chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, in our Bible lessons from the first epistle of John. This section might be titled, Selfishness and Hatred Toward Our Fellow Men is Impossible in a True Christian State Before God. In this passage we read these words, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. We remark first that the commandment to love our fellow men is an old commandment. This is told us in verse 7. I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment. This old commandment of loving relationship to one another is founded in our intelligence. We perceive the greatness of God and the position that God is to have as totally supreme in our being. We perceive the equal relation of one another and must affirm the equal rights of our fellow men. In John chapter 1 and verse 4 we read, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This doubtless refers to God's plan in creating man in his own moral image, that man was to enjoy the reactive pleasure of the great God in all his actions, and was to live in a happy association with his fellow men, and thus he would have the life of God in his consciousness. But man lost this happy concept of truth and obligation, and departed into a state of darkness, choosing rather to have the law of selfishness guide his operations than the law of love. Thus, God took pains to reveal to man his obligation in the Ten Commandments, and thus this truth of love is old in the sense that it dates back to the Ten Commandments, which declares in the last six our relations to our fellow men. Then also it is portrayed and applied by Christ as he came to impart truth. Thus the commandment of love is an old commandment. But this proper regard for our fellow men was told to John's readers from their very first hearing of the gospel. We have these words. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. As the apostles went forth with the glorious gospel, they declared the utter necessity of a complete revolution of life if salvation was going to take place. The gospel was a salvation from sin. It was a deliverance from sin. It was a revolution of heart and life toward God and toward man. No partial transformation would avail. And thus John could write back to his hearers that he had declared to them from the very beginning of his proclaiming of the gospel 
that it was imperative that they should have such a revolution of life that they would assume an attitude of love toward God and love toward their fellow men. Thus repentance and faith in Christ involves a complete revolution. They had this moral light from the beginning, and this is the very essence of gospel salvation. Yet in verse 8, we note that the commandment through the gospel is said to be new, doubtless because of its profound force and inner enabling power provided in the relationship of the Holy Spirit in salvation. We read these words again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. So we notice first that the Lord Jesus manifested greater moral light by his teachings and actions that had ever been manifested on earth. Therefore, in the sense of profoundness, the manifestation of the commandment of love was new. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, in verse 14, we read, And the Word was made flesh, referring to the second person of the Trinity, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So as the Lord Jesus Christ came into our world and grew up as one of us, manifested his perfection of holiness, imparted to us his profound teaching, went about doing good, a radiance of light shed upon the earth that was never known there before. And so in this sense, the glorious light through the gospel of Christ is said to be new. In the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, and verse 12, our Lord Jesus declared, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Again in chapter 12 of John, and verse 36, we have this affirmation. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Again in verse 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And so the Lord Jesus declares that he shone forth a greater moral light into this world than had ever existed before. And in John chapter 1, verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And so the glorious light of the gospel is new in the sense of its profoundness, as manifested by Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, this profound manifestation of moral light reacts within the minds of all those who come in contact with it. It is new in the sense of its clearness, of perception by the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, and it is forced to transform the lives. Our conscience is the interpreter of that moral light which we perceive, but conscience only reflects the truth that is perceived. Therefore, conscience is not a dependable guide. Conscience is merely a reflection of that truth which is perceived by the mind. But moral darkness has engulfed the whole world of mankind 
as a cloud. In John chapter 3 and verses 19 and 20 we read, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But Christ is pictured here as dispelling this darkness, as men repent and receive his light. But we remark in the third place that the gospel relationship to Christ provides a new illumination and a new enabling force to live forth the glorious moral light. And thus we have this expression, it is true in him and in you. Verses 9 and 10 of this passage before us leads us to this fourth remark that so definite and forceful is the moral light of Christ through the gospel in its impression upon our inner personalities that to be brought into saving relationship with Christ through repentance and faith is to be transformed into an entirely new state of being which is a genuine and an overwhelming love toward God and toward man. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. This wonderful state always follows. In fact, this change of outlook is the process of conversion to Christ. Thus we have it made plain that if this happy and virtuous state of love is not present in the human heart, such a one has not entered into the blessed salvation through the gospel. Anyone who professes to be a Christian and lives in a state of bitterness and hatred toward his fellow men is an occasion of stumbling, as this verse uh, records, and becomes an obstacle to others who would otherwise be influenced to come to Christ. And so we see the imperative nature of the glorious gospel, that it is a transformation of the inner heart and life into the glorious happy state of love. As the scripture declares to us the profound statement that God is love in his very essence, so all those who are open in their hearts and lives to the truth of God and have been transformed by the glorious gospel also enter into this happy state of love toward the great God and toward their fellow men. But verse 11 leads us to this fifth remark. We do not allow our minds to retain more light or truth than we are willing to obey or to live by. We have, and he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. There are two factors that lead to this state of darkness. First, God does not illumine our minds more than we are willing to receive and to allow to change our lives. Jesus affirmed what is often misunderstood, as recorded in Matthew 7, 6, these words, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. The simple meaning of this passage is that the Holy Spirit only reveals truth to a person to the extent that such a one is willing to digest it and be changed by it. Then secondly, we only concentrate our thinking upon what does not condemn us. 
If we are unwilling to be changed by a truth, that truth is trust forth from our minds and forgotten. This was emphasized in John 3, 19 and 20. But when a sinner is really ready to turn from all sin in repentance and be transformed into an entirely new manner of life, the life of love or a benevolent attitude toward God and man, he opens his heart and mind to all truth as recorded in the 21st verse of John chapter 3. And there we read, And he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And thus the mighty work of transformation of heart takes place. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy mercy and thy love, for thy glorious gospel, which transforms the heart. We pray that many may respond to this portrayal of truth from thy blessed word. In Jesus' name, amen.